the main thing to remember is what I'm doing today here with you is actually an insult to Dante, to spend a few hours on this, this absolute masterpiece, poetic uh, art, um, it is, is insulting. But um, the way we will look at it today, he might forgive us because we go right to the essence of what he meant. So um, we don't know when he starts composing it, but we do know that um, it was at least the last 14 years of his life that he worked on it. And hence my saying this is pretty insulting. He's worked 14 years and we will dismiss him at the end of today. Um, but it, it is a beauty. It is a beauty. He called it a comedy. He didn't call it a divine comedy. He used the, the Greek term of comedy, which means however adverse your beginnings are, as long as the ending is happy, it's a comedy. Yeah. And the ending is happy. And also the language you use for tragedy is very elevated. Well, he used humble, ordinary, vernacular, ordinary Italian. So you, if you read around him at the time, the people say, I don't know what this guy was on about because he didn't speak, uh, he didn't write in Latin. Because Latin in the Middle Ages was the lingua franca. But he didn't. He spoke in the language of ordinary people. And that's also why it's a comedy. Comedy uses normal, everyday language. But that doesn't mean to say that it isn't absolutely beautiful, the language that, that he uses and the poetry that he uses. He was a real early Renaissance man. Whatever was going on at the time in the way of philosophy, knowledge, art, he was there. He was there, completely educated in all sides of what uh, the humanity had to offer at the time. His time was not very different from ours, I'm afraid. There was political and social upheaval. Uh, well, in this case, it's not the pope fighting with the emperor, but it was chaotic, absolutely chaotic. At one stage, you had two emperors, and the pope fled from Rome to Avignon because Rome was really being ruled by bandits because the pope papal influence was disappearing. So uh, I, won't, I won't stress the connections between our time and that time, but it was a difficult time. So if you look at his work, um, it is first, whoops, go away, I didn't want you yet. It first is literal. Now if we took it literal, it is a beautiful poem that captures his whole time, the entire 
medieval civilization is in there. And it is, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But that will take us at least 99 days. Because he's made the poem into everything is under the sign of three. The poem is in three bits of 33 stanzas each. I mean, the building of it, it's architecture, beautifully done. Each one has a little sort of antechamber. Yeah? And the theme is the same. But a literal, uh, you could then start saying, well, he is being a bit wicked to the people he knows, especially in hell. You would think, hmm, that's a bit vindictive, isn't it? But you're not meant to take it literal. And if I didn't look at it in an allegorical, a moral, or a psychological, or a mystical way, I wouldn't love it as much as I do now. It is a beautiful journey, beautiful description of the spiritual journey. And we will be able to resonate with that. And he himself wrote to one of the first ones who gave him refuge when he was banished from Florence. He said, the subject of this work must first be considered to the letter, then be considered allegorically. And that is what we're doing today. Hence, I can give you in a few hours just a flavor of what is going on in the whole. And then you have a nice at least a year to read through the whole poem quietly. So it is an, an, an epic poem, but we do need to consider it allegorically. And where is the, the dividing line between allegorical, moral, psychological, mystical? It goes from one to the other. What we're dealing with is in fact the journey of total ignorance and being imprisoned by our own negative, egocentric tendencies to total freedom, the freedom of grace. That is the journey. And that's the journey all of you are on when you start meditating. You didn't realize in meditation you had to go through hell purgatory before you get to heaven. But um, it's not as bad as it sounds. But there is a lot of work that automatically is done when we enter the silence of meditation. Uh, Dante wrote in pictures. So I thought the only way to give you a flavor of the whole poem is to use pictures. And the pictures I'm using is Gustave Doré. They're always wood engravings. He was quite famous 19th century artist. And our own Blake, William Blake, illustrated many of them. So you will see them.
Well, the first stanza, which um, yeah, I will give you the first uh, into sort of canto uh, later on after a little break for you to look at together, because that's an introduction to the whole poem, and we need to look at that carefully. So it starts like this. Midway along the journey of our life, I woke to find myself in a dark wood, for I had wandered off the straight path. There he is, a dreamlike, nightmare landscape. And we have two Dantes in the, the Divine Comedy. We have Dante the poet and Dante the pilgrim. And sometimes he addresses us, the poet does. But here he talks as the pilgrim, because he starts by saying, midway along the journey of our life, not of my life, our life. So he is every man. Straight from the first stanza, you're told it's about you. It's not just about me. You can't just say, oh yeah, that's you. I don't have those problems. No, it's all of us. So he was in a dark wood. For I had wandered off the straight path. And he says, how I entered there, I cannot truly say. I had become so sleepy at the moment when I first strayed, leaving the path of truth. So here is the indication that there is a path of truth. But when we stray off that, we become sleepy. We become ignorant. We don't know what's going on. And that is being caught, being caught in the material reality and forgetting that there is a path of truth, that there is a spiritual reality that also lives within you. That's so important that in meditation, when you uh, read John Main, it constantly emphasizes the Christ within. Yeah, we have it within us, but occasionally we fall asleep. We ignore to that beauty and truth within us. And even if you look at those of you who know me, know how much I admire the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, at one stage, when I used to talk about it, um, I was subversive, and did I enjoy that. But I'm afraid I'm no longer subversive. It's now considered apostolic. So it's not quite the same fun, but it is still the same wisdom. These are all sayings 
by Jesus. And look at this one, how much that resonates with what we just heard. Jesus said, I took my stand in the midst of the world, and in the flesh I appeared to them. I found them all drunk, and I did not find any of them thirsty. My soul ached for the children of humanity because they are blind in their hearts and do not see. For they came into the world empty, and they also seek to depart from the world empty. But now they are drunk, and when they shake off their wine, then they will repent. Repent is not sackcloth and ashes. No way. Repent is being rehung, seeing reality in a different way actually turning from the material reality into the reality that envelops and enfolds us all. Um, what I forgot to say at the beginning is that at the end I will uh, send my quotes, not the whole PowerPoint, but my quotes uh, to uh, Kate, and Kate will send it to whoever would like them. All right, so you don't have to sit and scribble every, every quote down. That, that I will give to you. So here we are. We are caught in our worries. We are caught in our anxieties. And we mustn't denigrate that. That's life. Yeah? And there are times when we inevitably are caught up in that. So there's nothing bad about it, but we have to wake up. We have to pay attention and not get caught. By the way, you know, you can near, near where I live, there is in spring, there is a street full of beautiful blossoms, cherry blossoms, absolutely gorgeous. I bet you, though, if you walk through that, then you're feeling depressed, anxious, you don't notice it. And that's the same. We don't notice this peace and silence of the real reality, of which our reality is only one surface aspect. Yeah, so it's like walking along that Road. Now, when we start on, on uh, meditation, we want instant enlightenment. My goodness, I've been at it for six months. Nothing has happened. Well, so does Dante. <coughs> I raised my head and saw the hilltop shawled in morning rays of light sent from the planet that leads man straight ahead on every road. There. There's enlightenment. So all you have to do, uh, thinks Dante, is climb. Climb up and you're there. Enlightenment is yours. Well, what happens? He tries. He starts up the mountain. And one after the other of 
these three animals appear. Blake, yeah, I want that you will recognize all his painting. These are moral weakness is a bit strong. These are our negative energies, our woundedness from the ego, our unmet needs of the survival. Remember, the ego is the king of survival. And thank goodness we have that him. Without ego, there wouldn't be any culture. There wouldn't be any civilization. So don't you talk badly about ego. We do need him. But it is the complete emphasis on it will lead to those three animals. There is a leopard, a lion, and a she-wolf, which are actually our shadow, the non-integrated aspects of our being, the woundedness, the result of things that happen to us in our youth, where our survival needs weren't met. Thank goodness some of them were, but there may have been some that weren't. And so you have the leopard stands for fraud and malice. The lion stands for pride and ambition and the violence that comes with that. And the she-wolf stands for greed and love. So he has, Dante has got these three animals actually to personify a whole group of negative energies that can steer our behavior without knowing it. We don't know. Yeah? Sometimes if as a child you were powerless, then as you grow up you're trying to compensate for that and seek for power. And it becomes a demonic obsession. I must have power. We see examples of that around us. I won't put any names to it. Same with security. Yeah, if there wasn't security in your life, not always the parents, it's an environmental as well, and then you seek for security. And you're actually, all your decisions are dominated by this, what you feel, unmet need for security. Yeah. Greed, the same. Yeah. If you didn't have enough, now you want to have more than enough. So, in a way, they're wounds, they're not sins. I don't like the medieval emphasis on sin and that we're all sinful beings. These are woundedness, these are unmet needs which we need to recognize. And that's what the whole poem is about. Now, poor old Dante, well, wouldn't we, runs back into that wood 
thank goodness, I rather am in, in ignorance than face all this. I don't want to know. And he then admits that he is powerless. And you know, in the AA, which is one of the best organizations, really, the AA starts, the first step is admitting your powerlessness. And if you admit your powerlessness, divine help comes. And divine help comes here in the figure of Virgil. Virgil, a poet whom he really admired, is his guide. Virgil, if I look at it psychologically, is the light of reason, the old wise man or woman within us. He is reason. And he is really the best that we can achieve on our own without the special grace of God. And you will notice that as we walk through the poem, as we hop, skip, and jump through the poem <laughs> rather than walk. And Virgil is sent by love. That's the important thing. Uh, Virgil is sent by love, and it's love that will help Dante to overcome his woundedness by understanding it first, then saying, I don't need to be caught by that. That's just one aspect of me. It's not all of me. And perhaps I need to make amends. Yeah, that those three things, to become aware and then see that it's just part of you and then try and make amends. So there are three women who've helped him. The Virgin Mary heard his cry when he went up the mountain. She sent down to Santa Lucia, who was also Dante's patron saint, and Lucia is, of course, light, yeah? love and light. And then to Beatrice. Now Beatrice, his muse, who finally leads him into paradise, was in heaven. But she left her place and went all the way down into limbo, which is the first part of hell, and asked Dante, to go down and help. So there is, right from the beginning, the essence of the whole poem is love. Yeah? We are helped and guided by love. Again, uh, the same teaching you find in John Main. Yeah? It's love, it's grace. That is, we can't do it on our own. We need that. And uh, Beatrice was sitting next to Rachel. Do you remember Rachel and Leah from, from the, 
the, and I always felt sorry for poor uh, Jacob because he first had to marry Leah, who represents the active life. And then he could marry, after another seven years, Rachel, the contemplative life. If you take Gandalf's story literally, you would say, oh, how mean. He first gives him, lets him work for seven years, and he ends up with the one he doesn't want, and needs to work another seven years to get what he does want. That's mean. Yeah? But if you see what they stand for, we need first the active life, and then the contemplative life. Then it makes sense. Then it makes sense. It's the Mary and Martha. We need both. Sometimes it'd be nice to just be Mary and be a lotus eater, but I'm afraid we have to have both. So the fact that Beatrice is sitting next to Rachel in heaven means she is the contemplative life. So he's being guided by love and by contemplation, right from the beginning. Well, like, you know, if you're t told in a minute, you'll see a picture, this is where we're going, hell. Uh, what would you say? No, thank you. I ain't going there. Yeah. And uh, so he, he doesn't, he hesitates. Well, you can well understand that. But his guide says, so what is wrong? Why do you delay? Beatrice is guiding you, is inviting you. Why are you worried? It's nothing to be worried about. And so, in fact, he plucks up his courage and enters. Now, as little side one, I'm jumping to right to the middle, for a reason, right to the middle of the purgatory. It is the center, this one is the center of the whole poem. And that's why Virgil talks to him about love. And I wanted that right at the beginning of our discussion, so that you, when you enter hell, you are aware that actually it is all an attitude to love. That is pure love. That is when you actually, as he says in Purgatory 17, where you follow the longing that is within. Why do we start on this path? There is a longing within us. We can't put a name to it, but there is a desire, a longing, a good the heart may rest on. This makes us think of St. Augustine, doesn't it? My heart is restless until it rests in thee. So that's pure love. That is what guides him right throughout uh, the poem. And that is love mediated by reason. We have to understand it. That's also a right way. Yeah? There's nothing wrong with our mind 
and our reaction. It's a marriage between mind and heart that we need. But as long as you don't get caught by the worldly goods, it's also the right way. But keep your eye fixed on the goal of the journey, the eternal good. And then the ones we meet in hell, in fact, are the ones that have completely turned away from the love for God, the love for others. They're just focused on egocentric love. And then you start worrying about all the things you didn't have. Yeah? It's the egocentric love. Nobody else matters except that you have billions. Yeah? It's that. So they turned away from a good the heart may rest on, from God. And the whole of the atmosphere in hell is dark, dismal. It's away from God, is away from life, is non-existence. Non-existence. So let's come back to his hesitation. So that is, keep that in mind. Yeah, that is in the background of the whole poem. So if we come back to the hesitation, when I was preparing this for you, immediately I thought of George Herbert, that lovely poem, Love Bade Me Welcome, Yet My Soul Drew Back, Guilty of Dust and Sin, But Quick-Eyed Love, Observing me grow slack, from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioned if I lacked anything. Doesn't that completely sum up the way that Dante felt? There is love there, but I'm not good enough. How often I hear in, in uh, my role as um, spiritual companion. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I can't do meditation. I'm not good enough. I may get in the presence of God, but I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. God can't love me. It's all that. And then George Herbert says, lovely, you must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And so I did sit and eat. That, to me, completely sums up um, poor Dante's hesitation. Um, afterwards, I'll be giving you a little um, beautiful this later, which gives you all the various um, things that can go wrong. Well, we go into hell. Welcome to hell. Blake makes it look fairly all right. But the next, over the entrance, it says, be, 
Uh, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> Doesn't quite sound as encouraging as the, the Blake one. But as we enter hell, God is not punishing. We are punishing ourselves. We are punishing ourselves, not God. How can God, that so clearly in this whole poem is love, how can God punish? It's we who do it by turning away from our spirit, from the Christ within, and focusing just on our needs. We need to focus on our needs, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah? We, we need survival. But it's not God punishing. It's not something that is imposed without. Now, the interesting thing is that, of course, hell is... We brought up with hell because of Dante. All the images of hell come from Dante and John Milton. You can't even blame the Italians. It's John Milton as well. When you look in scripture, there are a few, again, if you take it literally in Matthew, uh, it, you say, yes, there is hell. But nothing like what we get here. And Sheol and Gehenna, the terms that are used in Matthew, um, Sheol is just a simply a place for the dead to wait till they are released. Yeah? So it isn't a, a place of a punishment at all. It's a kind of limbo till the final judgment. Yeah? And Gehenna, when Jesus uses Gehenna, that was the dumping ground outside Jerusalem where they burned all the rubbish. And we always forget, because uh, uh, Jesus seems quite extreme sometimes in his examples, but what we forget is that he was a Jewish orator. And in Jewish oratory, you always make the contrast extreme to make a point. So the whole idea of hell is really due to Dante and due to John Milton and due to people like him. Have you ever looked at Hieronymus Bosch? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But yes, we were brought up on this yeah, for the past, what, seven centuries and assumed that this was theology. I mean, if you take Dante, literally, it is very bad theology. It's appalling theology, but you're not meant to take it literally. So there is again a festival, and I find it quite interesting. The first ones he meets are those who refuse to actually make a choice in life, the non-committed. Yeah? 
can't be bothered, nothing to do with me. And then you get to limbo, which I think is very sad. All the wise pre-Christian philosophers and saints are there, uh, like Virgil. Uh, I think that's bad theology too, but that takes us to, into a whole other day. But the main thing is it is we are punishing ourselves. And I just want to have you understand, explore with you. They talk about the seven deadly sins, and we know, know we've brought up on that. Pride, envy, wrath, gluttony, lust, sloth, and average. Avarice. Sorry, that was a funny pronunciation, <laughs> evidence. Ye yesterday I was asking Chuck, avaricious. How did avarice? I, I just couldn't get to avarice. <laughs> but avarice it is. Uh, now, the explanation which my friend Evagrius, the Desert Father, gives um, much more resonates with me. He says, so can I take you from Dante into the desert for a minute? Uh, Evagrius says, there are eight general basic categories of thought in which are included every thought. First is that of gluttony, greed, then impurity in lots of ways, not just chastity, lack of it, avarice, Sadness, anger, achadia, that's slowed, vainglory, and last of all, pride. Now look how they're all connected. That's my friend Igvagrius, fourth century desert father. Now look how it is all connected. Greed is seen as an overindulgence in the senses in general. So it applies to food, drink, possessions, and sex. That in turn leads to avarice. You want to keep what you have. Or to sadness. You do not have everything you would like. Then anger and envy arise towards those who have what you lack or who try to take it away from you. Then in turn come vainglory and pride you want to show off your possessions and achievements and claim all the credit for them, not allowing for talents you have received as a gift from the divine. So you see, that's why he said they're all linked. Yeah? They're all linked together. And can you see how they all have to do with the ego and survival? Yeah? And we need some of it. But what I love of Evagrius, he calls them thoughts. Now you can deal with thoughts, however much you are possessed by them. But deadly sins, if I hear deadly sin, I think, oh, I can't do anything. 
I'm you know, hopeless, helpless, everything. But a thought, a negative thought, with grace and with discipline, we can deal with that. What happens, really, is that the normal, ordinary, acceptable need to have sufficient for survival becomes an overwhelming drive and greed for things and people to possess, which then gives us the illusionary sense of the, the, the main reasons for survival, love, pleasure, security, esteem, power, and control. And Evagrius says very nicely, through greed and pride, those are the two, the ego hijacks our whole being into self-centeredness. As Maximus the Confessor, a few centuries later than Evagrius formulated, whoever has philautia has all the pa passion. The Greek word philautia means self-love self-centeredness, egocentricity. And even then, he too linked this with the survival instinct, he meaning Maximus the Confessor. The cause of this deviation of the natural energies into destructive passions is the hidden fear of death. And I always love quoting Maximus, so you can't say, yeah, well, Kim, that's what you think, isn't it? That's your idea. No, this is an idea that was shared uh, among the early Christians. Yeah? But these are thoughts, and we can turn away from these thoughts. The thoughts will keep coming, but we can say, oh, yeah, I know you. They only become demonic when they get hold of us. Yeah? like pride, when you can't think of anything else that matters, or esteem. Anything that matters is what people think of you. Yeah? It's terrible, isn't it? You have these, uh, nowadays, these poor people who uh, achieve something in um, film stars, or singing, or football, um, and uh, then people start trolling. I can't. And they actually, because there is the pride, you know, they get destroyed by these trolls. It's wicked. It's wicked. Yeah? So we all want love, security, esteem, power, and control, don't we? That's perfectly natural. It's only when we emphasize one or two, and don't care about anybody else, or don't care about God and our own spiritual side. Yeah, sure you can. No, no, it says, so it's, it's all fine as long as you don't take it as the center of your life and, and, and being. Yeah, do ask things like that. No, we, we, we need uh, 
we need some egocentricity to survive. Yeah? Otherwise, you wouldn't have got there. You would have been run over by, by everything that passes you. But it is when it becomes the focus of your life. That's when we're in trouble. Well, within health, can I introduce you to a nice fellow? He's called Cerberus. And Cerberus, as I say there, is the prototype of the gluttons. But in a way, it is also an inverted trinity. You see that? Again, the trinity. The nasty inverted version of Trinity. Constantly three in Dante because of the, his belief, a uh, strong belief in the Trinity. So I don't think it's one I would like to meet um, in normal life. And why is greed there? Well, can I take you back for one more to Evagrius, and then I will leave him. Come on, be good. Yeah. Of the demons opposing us in the practice of the ascetic life, that means the practice of our discipline of meditation, of uh, contemplative prayer, there are three groups who fight in the front line. So we have greed, envy and esteem. Now, of course, that was true in the 4th century. It isn't true at all now, is it? You don't see anywhere greed, envy, and need for esteem. But that's why Cerberus is there. That is one of the difficult ones. So, they go down in hell, and I, I can only take you into one or two places of hell, otherwise uh, we would end up uh, pretty depressed and wouldn't even want to eat our lunch, I think, if I took you through all of it. Did he? Yeah, he accepted that. Oh yes, he accepted that completely, uh, um, very much so. Yeah, if then, then we come, may I come back to that when we go in paradise? Because you get, you have uh, a Christ there, you have Mary as the love, as the spirit, and you have God. Yeah? And I think John Maine put it so beautifully, which fits in here very well. Uh, the, 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 um, that it is the uh, Trinity that is the love between the Father and the Son, the stream of love between the father and the son. Yeah? He did. Yes. He wasn't, uh, he, he was completely orthodox. Um, and thank goodness he was, because this was the time of anyone calling anybody a heretic. Right? They just had to disagree with you, and you were a heretic. Yeah? The Pope called the, 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 the emperor that won, there were two emperors and one won, and he called him an heretic because he didn't want to deal with one emperor. He preferred to deal with two fighting each other. 
And so then the emperor calls the pope a heretic. Where do you go? Where do you go? The one who calls Meister Eckhart a heretic, that pope is then later called a heretic. So if, he, if Dante wasn't um, orthodox, apart from if you take his description of hell literally, um, uh, he would be a heretic and his books would be burned. Especially in Florence later. But that's another story. So he goes through hell, and the problem is he sees there, he recognizes all the negative energies you can fall prey to. Yeah? And if he says with Gustav Dore again, two just men. There are Virgil and Dante, but no one listens. For pride, envy, avarice are the three sparks that kindle in men's heart and set them burning. Dante is moved to tears because he still resonates. Yeah? We all have a little of those things in us, and we can recognize it. So he's moved to tears, but do remember it is a punishment we put on ourselves. It's action that has consequences. And the people in hell do not take responsibility for their actions at all. They're the victims. They're the ones put upon. Yeah? No responsibility at all for what they have done. Yeah? They think it's perfectly normal. In the, the one with the Pope, in fact, they say, oh, well, there's another Pope coming. I'll better make space. You know, there is no understanding. So going there, is only for the benefit of Virgil, that he recognizes the negative energies that can completely take hold of you. Yeah? Exactly, exactly. That is the, 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 that's the beauty, and that's also the beauty which we see in the prodigal son. Yeah? I mean, if you're a mother and your son, or a father, and your son has behaved the way that guy has, you know, wow. Yes, it is love. Love that will conquer it. Yeah? And um, so it's good to bring that up. There is, an, there is an, a, a no limit to God's love and forgiveness. Yeah. And we think that is because we impose limits. Yeah, we judge God by our standards. But that's not it. And, and I mean, there is this, even when we come to purgatory later, even if at the last minute, you turn to God, you're saved. Yeah. So, 
And you can see how, in fact, the, 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 the punishment fits the crime. The, oops, no, hold on. Um, yes, let's do them first. I was going to give you the other one in, in a minute. Can I just skip, 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 skip? I'll come back. Here, they're in the bog, the wrathful, and they're choking and spluttering. And do you know the way people choke and splutter when they're really angry? Yeah. So this is what they're doing. That's what they're doing. But when people think, and so it, the, 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 the crime, uh, the punishment fits the crime. Now, when you think of hell, people immediately think of Paolo and Francesca, the story of Paolo and Francesca in hell. And that is one of the stories that after a short break I want you to look at. Because some people, some researchers say, um, well, they're in hell together, so they have conquered hell. If you look carefully at the text I give you, what I'd like you to do is to look at how Francesca speaks about Paolo. And does she take responsibility for her actions? Those are the questions I want you to look at. I don't want to say my opinion here. I want you to find out whether you think she's okay or, yes, it is not surprising she is in hell. Because remember, hell means being caught, imprisoned by those um, drives, those desires, those instincts. Well, because, so that is your homework, your work. You think I'm only doing the work here? No way. So, there's the wrathful again, and then at the end, when he sees um, the, the, um, in the sin of wrath and anger, Dante is actually learning to distance himself. And what he's actually doing, if you read it, he's projecting out his own anger on that sinner because he kicks him. So that's what we often do. If we recognize, he recognizes with himself the quality of anger, yeah? and you project it out because that's uncomfortable, and so he kicks them. But he now has understood completely um, the reason why he went through that. Um, can I just have a few more minutes before the coffee? I think it's being made, so we have... No, that's, that's, that's good. They now know they don't have to listen much longer. <laughs> the kettle is coming. So we've now passed lust, gluttony, avarice, Sloth and rock. So we've got lots behind us, and all we have left are the worst ones. 
in, in envy and pride. And envy and pride are very difficult to deal with. And in the Dante, there he is faced with the city of Dis, where there is the envy and the pride. And you can't conquer those without divine help. No way. You've got the Furies there, standing on the walls. Now, the Furies are really allegorical or symbolic for this kind of destructive sense of guilt, yeah? The, the, that you're guilty about being angry and guilty about your negative energies. And it has this kind of destructive guilt. As Lawrence always says, guilt is a useless activity. Yeah? It is self-destructive. It doesn't do anything at all. So they can't, and, and there is even Medusa. So Virgil says, don't look, don't look, because you remember Medusa, if you look at her, she freezes you. So he could be frozen in his negative energies. But then comes an angel that walks on water. Now, who do you immediately think of? There you go. And so they, they are allowed in. You do need divine help. And then he realizes that the sins are potentially his. And that's the first step. So easy for us to criticize other people's need for security or to ridicule other people's need for security. But they, they're potentially the same. Yeah, you have these people who are very meek and mild and then suddenly, boom, anger. And then what did they say? I didn't know what came over me. <laughs> yeah? So it is in us, potentially. And he, Dante, the pilgrim, has come to that realization. And then they end up, again, right at the hell, bottom of the hell, where Satan was. Satan didn't figure in, in scripture at all. But he was an, an um, seraphim. He has six wings. Yeah? And all the water goes down in hell. And they keep flapping his wings so he's, the water is frozen. So he can't move. He does it. Do you see? His own punishment. And he stuffed those sinners in his mouth so he can't even speak. Yeah? But he does it. Even Satan imposes his own punishment. Well, they're out, thank goodness, and we are too. They're out. And then you have this lovely last council. We climbed, he first, and I behind, until through a small round opening ahead of us, I saw the lovely things the heavens hold, and we came out to see once more the stars. 
And from then on, the stars are the divine that guide. They're there. They're there. They were not in hell, but they're there now in purgatory and in paradise.